0: Welcome to the Quality and Qualifications Ireland podcast. QQI is a state agency that promotes quality and accountability in education and training in Ireland. In this episode, you'll hear Pórg Walsh, QQI's CEO, in conversation with our host, Paul O'Mahony, about what Quality and Qualifications Ireland is and its role in ensuring quality education in Ireland. Can you tell me, what is your role in... Quality and Qualifications,
1: Ireland. I'm the Chief Executive Officer. My role is often to develop the strategy with the executive staff and then the strategy is approved or steered by the board. But we also have have to take on board input from our wide variety of stakeholders. So on the qualifications and quality assurance side, that includes the education providers, so the universities, institutes of technology, the education and training boards, but also the bodies that fund those things. So higher education authority funds, higher education, SOLAS funds, further education, vocational education and training. Employers need to know what the qualifications that students or learners attain, uh, what they are. So we need to be able to interface with those as well. We also deal with overseas students or graduates who are trying to get their qualifications recognised in Ireland. So all of that is a wide provider Stakeholder base that we have to deal with.
0: That's a huge landscape. I mean, are you responsible for the whole of education in Ireland?
1: No, we don't really deal with the state examination. So we don't have responsibility for the junior certificate or the leaving certificate. There are several separate bodies that develop the curriculum there, and there are separate bodies that examine the state examination commissions sets the examination corrects the examination for the leaving cert and the junior cert for instance but we do have awarding powers for special education at the lower levels of the national framework of qualifications and we in fact we make awards at all 10 levels from level one awards which would really be for very basic education off for people with special needs or intellectual disabilities all the way up to doctoral awards where we'd make awards at level 10 of the framework I suppose our main responsibility is what we'd call post-secondary education or beyond the school system.
0: So when you say you make awards, what does that mean in the language that people would understand? Is that like you carry out the examinations or you give the qualifications? What do you do in
1: the area of awards? In terms of, if you think of a qualification, for instance, if someone wants to be an engineer, the reason why engineers are desired is because they're, A certain series of skills that are valued in society that are necessary to, for instance, be able to construct bridges or to make chemicals in chemical plants or to do food processing, etc. within that. So there's a societal expectation that those people have the knowledge, skill and competence to perform at those things. If you want people to be qualified within that, you have to have a means of instructing or a curriculum that they'll have to operate from. You have to provide the education in an education and training provider. That's usually, say, a university or a school or an institute or a private college. And then you pass through a series of tests, which can be uh, assessments, examinations, presentations, group work, etc. cetera. And having completed those series of tasks, you're deemed to have achieve the award and then for that you receive a certificate, which is a way of the awarding body saying, this person has demonstrated the knowledge, skill and competence to receive this award. In terms of QQI, in a number of areas, particularly the further education area, we would set the standard for a particular award. So, for instance, an ICT award we would set in further education, we would set the standard for that. Then a provider, that's the place where you go to learn, would develop a programme leading to the award whereby the uh, person, the learner, when they finish, will be deemed to have what's called achieved the learning outcomes, that they would have achieved the knowledge, skill and competence that's expected for that award. And that would have been achieved through their demonstration by passing examinations by giving oral presentations, by doing projects or group work or research. And then they're deemed to have achieved the award and the provider submits that person for certification and we issue the certificate. So we're involved, if you like, at the front end, developing the standard and at the back end when the award is being produced. But we don't have a direct responsibility in relation to examining. However, For our standards to be met, there's an expectation that the assessment system that's used will involve a mix of skills that the person has to demonstrate, such as the ability to answer questions in a closed book examination, but also to be able to show the communication skill to explain a project or a piece of work that they would have done.
0: So a college of some sort, a place of learning that wants to offer learners, potential learners, an educational experience, at the end of which those learners will get a qualification, do they gather up all the description of what they're going to do, submit that to QQI, QQI say this is a level XYZ, and you're authorized to go ahead, call this a level such and such. And then that college then says to students, come to us and you can get a level 7. Is that the way it works?
1: It's kind of like that. There are quite a number of bodies, particularly the mature higher education institutions that actually have their own awarding powers. So, for instance, if you want to go to Trinity College Dublin or to University College Dublin, they have the authority to develop their own programs and to make their own awards. You'll get a certificate that says graduate of UCD or graduate of of Trinity College uh, Dublin. There are other bodies that do not have awarding powers themselves. So if you're a private provider, if someone wants to set up an education and training institution and you're interested in offering awards, for instance, in ICT, Information Communication Technology, what you can choose to do is to apply to QQI to be eligible to receive QQI awards.
0: So, I mean, that sounds to me like uh, quality. First of all, you're saying this place, this institution has met our quality standard it's a fit place for learning to take place people can go to it and trust that they're good enough to deliver stuff and secondly the quality of the program they're going to deliver we make sure or we provide standards to check that it's going to meet a certain quality so you're really quality assurance are
1: you yes and i think the analogies that you'd have would be for something like someone opening a restaurant or wanting a particular standard or star for it, you would have whatever Michelin that would come in or Fall Ireland would come in. But that the thing I suppose that the consumer has to understand from that is that you're really only as good as the last time that you did it. So the fact that you've met criteria initially doesn't mean that you'll continue to have quality. So the expectation is that the education and training provider has to constantly assure themselves that the education and training is good. That means, for instance, getting feedback from students about their experience. But QQI's role also is to periodically evaluate that the standard is being maintained. I suppose that's the essence of quality assurance that it's not that you've done it once. It's that on a periodic basis, you must assure QQI and the public in general that you continue to maintain the standard. And I noticed that you're emphasizing there that The institution itself
0: has to satisfy itself that it is delivering quality. So it says our courses or our our learning that takes place here is to the right standard. And then it also has you to look at them from outside. So there's like they quality assure themselves and you quality assure to see
1: that they have actually quality assured themselves. Is that? That's true, and that's the essence of most quality systems, not just in education and training. If you look at a simpler analogy in the, say, in the school system, for instance, we all know that you have examinations that people sit, like the junior and leaving certificate. So if a particular school's results get poorer over time, the expectation is that something has gone wrong within the system. But one would also expect that in a school you have a principal, a deputy principal, you have heads of department and their job is to work overtime to ensure themselves that the right staff are there, that they get the support, that there are internal quality meetings of, say, the maths department or the English department to make sure that everybody say, understands the new syllabus, et cetera, so that we are not totally reliant on the external systems.
0: How many people work for QQI?
1: There's about 80 staff in total. Not all full time, but about, about 80 staff. The majority of our staff are based in our head office, which is close to Marion Square in the centre of Dublin. We have another smaller office quite close to there where we house our IT department and our training seminar rooms. But we also host the learner database Qualifax, which is used really as part of a guidance service. That was developed in Carlow. So those people actually telework from, from home in Carlow. I suppose that's one of the differences now of working in Modern environment is that most of our ICT is housed up in the clouds. So to some extent, it doesn't really matter where you work. You can access information everywhere.
0: And there are education and training institutes, places all around the country. And do you have local people in each county in each province? How on earth do you make sure you cover from, you know, Donegal to Wexford? How do you do that?
1: A lot of our monitoring is desk-based monitoring, so it's on the basis of what I explained to you. We can look at patterns in certification, uh, for instance, which will tell us whether particular programs are becoming more or less popular. But we can also do that at the level of an individual provider. And as I said before, if we see unusual changes over a period of time, that can prompt something for us. In those cases, we can send a team down to go into a particular institution. For the larger institutions on an annual basis, we do visit them. So on an annual basis, we visit the universities, we visit the institutes of Technology. And from this year, we'll also be visiting the Education and Training Boards. That's the former vocational education committees. They're located in uh, 16 centers around the country from uh, Letterkenny to Tralee to Wexford to Dublin. Our interventions there are once a year on a physical basis. But obviously, again, in those cases, we have the information coming through. We look at how frequently they are validating new programs, for instance, that would tell us whether people are still involved in developing education training and we have an ongoing monitoring system whereby we will ask people do you expect to put new programs through if not why not we will also monitor if we see that there are no learners coming through on particular programs that may mean that the people are no longer running those programs in which case we would look at Wondering whether they would still be eligible to be offering those programs, because it may be that, in fact, the staff that they were using are gone from the system. So we have a mixture, if you like, of desk-based monitoring, but we can also do interventions based on causes for concerns.
0: QQI came into existence in 2000, and well, the Act was in 2012. What happened before the act then, you know, why was QQI set up in 2012?
1: Why? We didn't really appear in 2012. We were an amalgamation of four bodies that previously were involved in the area of qualifications and quality assurance, except those bodies tended to reflect the sector that they dealt with. So, FETAC, the Further Education and Training Awards Council, dealt with Further Education. HITAC, the Higher Education Training and Awards Council, dealt with higher education outside of the universities. So with the Institutes of Technology and the private higher education colleges, the Irish University's Quality Board dealt with the seven universities. And then was a body called the National Qualifications Authority of Ireland. It was responsible for, if you like, the development of the national framework of qualifications, the 10 level system that describes our qualifications. People nowadays would talk and you'd hear school leavers saying, I'm applying for a particular level eight course and I'm also applying for level six and seven courses. So the body that was responsible for the development and maintenance of the national framework qualifications was there as well. And the decision of government in 2008 really was that it would be better if there was an integrated quality and quality assurance qualifications and quality assurance system and that those four bodies should be amalgamated to form QQI. So although QQI wasn't established till 2012, the predecessor bodies date back to about 2001. And in fact, there were predecessor bodies for those before. In Further Education, the National Council for Vocational Awards, and in Higher Education, the National Council for Educational Awards. So those bodies date back to the 70s, I suppose.
0: And the job of knitting these long-established, in some cases, organisations together Now, that would challenge anybody, but not only to knit them together, but perhaps even to improve the assurance of quality in Ireland in a continuing international competitive market. This must have been quite a challenge over the last few years to get this, or has it been all downhill?
1: Oh, no, it hasn't been all downhill. I think all amalgamations are are difficult. Studies would say that over half of the private sector mergers that take place can destroy value. So unless you work at it, it can be difficult in a merger. You have different cultures, you have people that are used to working with different sectors. In many cases, the ethos of those will be different. So further education for different would tend to have dealt with people who were not accessing the higher education system, uh, for instance, and may have felt that the academic secondary school system that Ireland has, might have failed them or may not have really been something that they felt was most suited to them. And therefore, having an integrated qualifications and quality assurance system makes sense, I think, at this stage.
0: Tommy, do you as chief executive, who do you want to know that QQI exists? Do you want people to know QQI exists or is it more important for you for people to feel that quality And qualifications are of a very high standard in Ireland.
1: I think it's more important that people feel trust and confidence in the education and training system. I put diesel in uh, my car this morning, and when I go up and I pull the pump, I have to hope that when I deliver what's going to cost me 50 euros, that. The right amount of diesel has come out. So I looked this morning and checked and there's a little sign on the dial. Usually you're just watching the dial go round and hoping you can stop it before it hits 40 or 50 euros. But there's a little sign called NSAI on it. And that's the National Standards Authority of Ireland. So that's a group of people who set a particular standard to ensure, for instance, that the pumps that deliver petrol are calibrated. I would say very few people know who the NSA are. They do advertise a, a bit on radio, but in general, people have confidence in that system. I've never heard anyone recently complain that I don't think I got a full tank of fuel out of that. So I feel like there's an implicit trust on standards that are in there. People expect or hope to get a quality education. There are lots of countries in the world where people can't be sure really what they're buying into. There are significant areas of academic fraud. There are a number of countries where there have been evidence of qualifications that are worthless or students have uh, been very uh, shortchanged, or whereby there really is no objective way of knowing whether one school or one college is better than another. So it takes a long time to build confidence in a system. We hope that QQI are an essential part of the background to doing that. And certainly for people to get a QQI award, it's important that they know that that award has national and international currency. But QQI itself, it's not that important really that a lot of people know exactly it is what we do. It's more important that what we do is effective and that gives people confidence in the education and training system and the qualifications that they get from it.
0: Well, look, every student probably assumes or takes for granted that what they're getting is quality. And every student assumes that what they're getting in the form of a qualification is a good one. So everyone's in favor of quality and qualifications. If QQI disappeared overnight, and if it was even worse than that, if all the kind of work that QQI is doing disappeared as well, so nobody did what you're doing at all, Tell me what you think it might be like in five years' time.
1: I use an analogy of customs posts, uh, for instance. We all know that when we get off at an airport that we have to walk through a red gate or a blue gate or a green gate, and occasionally we are stopped. It may be very occasionally, but it does trigger in the back of our minds that we may be stopped. And I think that's the same process that we would have in, in quality assurance. There is periodic evaluation. So if people are doing things that can lead to substandard quality, they should have the fear that this will be found out and on a periodic basis, they'll be evaluated. So quality is, is a bit like trust and different systems have different trust levels within them. I, again, I often give an analogy of mechanisms of protecting fares or eliminating fare evasions we'd all be familiar with going to different countries and using train or metro or subway systems. My own comparison is often that in France, in the metro system, there are many ways there of stopping you cheating. They tend to have barriers that are impossible to jump over or to jump under. There tends to be a fairly heavy presence there. And if you do try and go through a gate behind the person in front of you, you'll be met very promptly by gates that close physically hard enough to crush you. In Berlin, for instance, in the transport system, the likelihood is that you can get on a tram with the ticket that over a period of a weekend, there's a possibility that you might be stopped, but you won't go through any barriers. And I think those, to some extent, are measures of the trust systems that are in place. If you have a high level of trust, then the, if you like, the external control mechanisms that have to be in place can be much lighter. So over time, one hopes that there is a very high level of trust within the providers of education and training so that QQI's input really is of a periodic basis. On the other hand, even in Germany, if you were there long enough and no one was checking your fare, you may wonder whether you should should pay it at all. So I think if you can use that same analogy, it may take a number of years, but over time, I think people would notice in particular in relation to our external quality assurance system. Of course. At the level of uh, the QQI award, we make the award. If we went away, then someone would have to take our place and make those uh, certifications.
0: Porig, let me ask you as a last question, really. If I was the Minister for Education and Training and I said, let's have a cup of coffee together, and we sat down and I said to you, look, Porig, I'm going to give you a magic wand. I'm going to let you, I'm going to empower you to improve any aspect of quality and qualifications in Ireland, any one that you choose, right? It's entirely up to you. So I'm not going to double guess you. Which aspect of uh, quality and qualifications in Ireland would you improve?
1: That's a difficult question. I think probably one of the difficulties we have in Ireland is an approach to short-termism or thinking that there is a silver bullet. Education systems that are really valued worldwide tend to be ones that evolve slowly and whereby there is a sustained effort to improve quality. And honestly, I think that's what we need to be aiming towards in Ireland. The most important thing that we can do is to imbue a quality culture in institutions So it's not QQI that really determines the quality. It is the institutions themselves and individual staff teaching individual students that believe that quality is their responsibility. And I think in that case, the question that you would have asked previously, of do we have an army all over the country becomes less important because really the army are the people that are standing in front of the student delivering the education and training. And when you're winning like that, you probably need less of a, a you know a smaller force. So to some extent, it means that QQI's role becomes less visible over time, rather than some big power, or big gun that we've been given.
0: Well, Porig Walsh, Quality and Qualifications Ireland CEO, thank you very much. Thank you. The Quality and Qualifications Ireland podcast is hosted by Paula O'Mahony and produced by Show & Tell Communications on behalf of QQI. Sound recording by Beacon Studios. Sound editing by Mark Cotton. The producers for QQI are Deirdre Miller and Laura Carrigan. You can find out more about QQI and the topics covered in this episode at qqi.ie.